Previously on the Loop and Royce Show. Tom, show us your fingertips. <gasps> You've been burning them. Trying to keep one step ahead, fellas. Listen, I cannot wait until I'm testifying at your trial, boy. You are going oh, to, to jail for the rest of your life. Just want to let you know that. I can't wait to look your sons and daughters in the face. Just tell them to kiss their father goodbye so they go visit you at the most maximum security prison they can find. I can't wait till they get you. The Lupa and Roy Show is a Say What Media production. That was pretty good. Yo, what up? This is Lupe Fiasco, and I've discovered the joys of zero sugar. Hey, what's up? This is Royce to 5'9", and my brother Lupe is rubbing that shit in my face because I'm drinking Monster right now. <laughs> and this is Tom Frank. I'm your regular dude. Um, I need you to expand upon this because I just don't know if I can drink zero free sugar drinks. Why not? They don't taste right to me. I mean, I wasn't, rub- I wasn't rubbing it in your face, uh, Royce. I'm sure that 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 monster has like a ton of like low calorie zero sugar type situations or not. Or they might even have just like an extra sugar version, like where they just half this can is just solid sugar. I don't know. Um, But the reason I bring this up is to your point, Tom, for historically, historically, uh, sugar free or sugar uh, replacement sweetened drinks. um they come with some baggage, you know, it might be like the aftertaste is weird. The consistency is weird. The what it does to your body is like crazy. Like, um, the taste, you know, like a, a, a sugar-free Coke or a sugar-free, you know, Sprite or whatever, uh, may taste nowhere near close to like a, the, the regular version. Right. But recently, just recently, I got to give some props to, to these soda companies. Now, you know, I don't do this, but I will do it. They kind of got the formula right. There's some scientists in there who knew, like, yeah, we need to get it closer to, you know, the the, the flavors of the original. And uh, I'm just not seeing this particular version with this particular branding uh, with zero sugar. And it is, I mean, it's right on. I've had all the classics, you know, and they taste like the, you know, the the regular version. So I've I've kind of invested and went went over the deep end and bought like eight cases. Um, of my very my favorite sodas, not eight, maybe like six, maybe like six. I think it's I think it's psychological. What you mean? Because I mean, it I, does I, say on there zero sugar. I convinced myself at one point in time that Patron was very delicious. <laughs> I did. <laughs> it was great. It was great. I convinced myself, and it was good. It was good in that moment. So I think it's psychological. And for the record, I drink Monster Energy drink. For the two hundred and sixty percent riboflavin, <laughs> I am trying this, as you can see. Yeah. It is also sitting. Tom, how you go? Whatever that how is. How you gonna say, yo? I don't. I don't stop showing that. They ain't paying us, man. But but my point was, I am trying it. It just doesn't taste right. Are you drinking it cold? I'm drinking it cold. It's been sitting here for like six hours. That's now. not cold, Tom. Tom you did. But I. It started cold, but now it's not yeah. cold. Tom. Are you drinking it? Are you drinking it with confidence? Mm, maybe that's it. Yo, I almost called Tom a jackass right now. I just want to say that. I was going <laughs> to say. Why were you going to call me a jackass? Because I asked you, did you, are you drinking it cold? Which is, I will say this. You have to drink this stuff cold, right? There's that. I, it, it has to be, cold. it has to be icy cold. You can't like sip and wait. 
unless you're putting it back in the refrigerator. So if you get it, you need to like make sure that it's, it's cold because I have experienced that. So when I ask you, Tom, are you drinking it cold? First, you said, I don't know if I could drink that. Then off camera, you got an entire case of zero sugar uh, soda. <laughs> I do have a whole case here. <laughs> then when I ask you if you drink it cold. I actually tried. <laughs> it's funny because you put on Instagram and I, I swear to God, I thought you stole this photo from me. I took the same photo you did the other day. You got the other uh, orange. I had. I took this exact oh, no photo. No way! No and way! I thought you stole my photo because when I looked at yours on Instagram, it looked like a white guy's <laughs> hand, and I was like, "How did he get my photo?" That's that's racist, Tom. That's racist. That that you think no, that be- now black people have to steal from white people. You know, we can afford Sunkiss too, Tom. We got wooden no, 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 floors no. too, Tom. We got we got a light. Let me clarify. Our, the other side of our hand is light too, Tom. Come on now. I had to hmm. take a really good look at that picture because I thought it was my picture. And I thought, how did he get this? That from is me? uncanny. That is un- pun intended. Uncanny. See the can part? See, Royce, I got bars. Um, Always. So, but back to it, Tom. We got to get into that photo because that's weird. That's actually genuine. That actually kind of threw me off a little it's bit. It's weird, it right? very weird. Pull up your photo because I thought you stole my photo. And the reason I took this photo is my wife, all her stuff is this zero sugar stuff. And she's out of town and I didn't have anything to drink. So I started trying it and I took this picture and I sent it to her. So that was the purpose of this particular shot. Right, there's my, and there's then I my, thought, how did this shot get out on... <laughs> Instagram. I mean, it's crazy. There's mine. <laughs> that's that's, that's weird. actually pretty good. That's actually pretty good. That's a, that's actually that's, weird. That's right, actually Royce? weird. I'm gonna give you that. Now, Royce, if you had one, that would have been that would have been unbelievable. I got I, I got one. <laughs> I got one. Here it is. Right you here. Know you know, it's not weird, Tom. Your white man accusing me of stealing. You know what I'm saying? That went down and went bad in many op- many ways and you know many what, places. Though? It's not cool, Tom. That's not a white or black thing. That is a history on this show of you stealing things. Tom, he ain't got to steal from you, bro. You know what, Tom? You're getting better. You're getting better at it. Your quips and your rebuttals, they're starting to, they're starting to hurt. They're, starting to, they're, getting point, they're getting to the point of triggering. He didn't steal no door. That never happened. But but Tom, you gotta drink it cold. I, and I I can I, I'm gonna just psychically go inside of your house. I bet you that those cans are sitting in a pantry. No, no 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 no. They are sitting in the outdoor refrigerator. I have a refrigerator that sits in the garage right next to the t-shirt press. You mean a t-shirt press where you steal merch? Yeah, and I I drink I drink sugar free. Tom. Tom, yeah, when you drink sugar. when you drink your sugar free whatever that is, yeah, the can must be half full to start. Remember that the can is half full. That's a good point. And I guarantee you, it tastes just a wee bit better. You you have to drink it cold, right? And I, you know, I haven't tried. I don't think I've had the Sprite, but I've had I've had the Seven Up. I've had the Sunkissed. I've had the Dr Pepper. I've had that whole thing with that particular little like zero sugar branding on the bottom. And every one that I've had has tasted like or close approximately to the the, the regular version. And, that you, but you, and what I was mad at you was going to call you a jackass 
Because you was like, you let it sit for six hours. Like, yeah, I drink it cold, but it's just been sitting here for six hours. And I just wanted to say, you jackass. Like, what's wrong with you? Well, I, I started drinking it at lunchtime. And then the day went by. I, I must have not liked it, though, because otherwise I would have just downed it. Did you forget? Yeah, I mean, it's sitting right here. I got a lot of things sitting on my desk right now. Did you like it or not, Tom? Did you, you like it? The, you got the phone number sitting on your desk? Can you give people the phone number, please? I can. And I'll tell you what, people need to leave a star rating and a review on Apple Podcast. And they need to leave us a voicemail at 707-BROMAN1 or 707-276-6261. Man, shout out to that guy who gave me that because I never forget the phone number now. Fantastic work. That's Steve, by the way. I remember Steve's name and I remember 707-BROMAN1. Thanks, Steve. Man, we appreciate you. Can we get into Can we get into the meat? Can we get into some meat, man? There's so much well, is I, going down. I have down. a question for you. I have a question for you. Now, you got to fill us in here. What's this story about this new clothing collection? I, I need to know more. I I run across uh, the fact that there's a there's a new clothing line that's Tom, themed around Tom, Lupe Tom, Fiasco. Listen, Tom. Tom, Tom, and influenced by Tom, his listen, father, Tom, who made him take Tom, up listen, martial listen, arts. Listen. Tom, let me tell you something, okay? On this show, let me tell you what you're bad at, okay? And not bad in a good way, not like Michael Jackson bad, like just bad, bad. Is pulling random stuff off the internet and then bringing it onto the show as if it's truth or fact. You, you already got, you already like, the push Baron Davis's buttons in the wrong way. His whole energy changed, right? I can go from guest to guest to guest to just me and Royce. You just be throwing stuff out there that you didn't heard, right? Okay. I am the regular man, the regular general public who needs to know what's at the bottom of this. <laughs> he showed sure did ask Baron, was he married to Jessica Alba? No, I didn't say married. It does say on his Wikipedia page that he went. You to can't prom with go her. off the. Stop saying it. You can't go. You can't stop spreading misinformation. You can't just go off Wikipedia page. I'm not. First of all, Tom, I've always been in the fashion business. I've always done clothes in one capacity or another. Shout out to my mom, Mama Fiasco, who's a seamstress and a sewer. She used to sew people's prom suits and towel coats back in the day was a big thing in Chicago. Um. But I've always done fashion. I always had a line called Trillion and Truly, um, where I was dipping into Japanese fashion and t-shirts and we did some dope stuff. Last, last collection that we did, I made these dope ass motorcycle jackets. You know, it's just a thing like a passion and a side hustle complementary to what I do in music, coming up with interesting concepts and then executing them. So I've always had a fashion brand. Um, through the life of that fashion brand, I've had the opportunity to work with some great, amazing people. One of, and who've gone on to become monsters in their own right, such as my brother Virgil Abloh. Um, we we uh he was one of the designers and helped design some stuff from Truly and Truly back in the day. Um, and so he's always been the homie. Of course, you know Virgil. He's now the creative director at Louis Vuitton. He's been there for a few years, as well as done some crazy stuff at Nike. And then he has his own brand called Off White and different things like that. Um, and so he put together a fashion show for Louis Vuitton. Because of COVID, um, they couldn't have like the in-person kind of big fashion show thing. And I mean, when Louis Vuitton does something, it's, it's massive, right? It's big. So they decided to shoot a film um, as a fashion show. So there's a film. It's called Amen Break. 
um, super layered, super contextual, a lot of dope people involved. Goldie, Jizza, Saul Williams, uh, myself, just a range of like luminaries and people in that space. And the clothes, the clothes are what they are. They're crazy. It's Virgil's interpretation on many different levels and facets. And it's just super dope. And then what he decided to do, shout to Mafuz, the director, um, what they decided to do with the show, um, because they were using, basing it off of Jizza's Liquid Swords album, uh, the way Virgil Mind works, he just starts to make all these reference points and connections. He came back to me knowing I do the martial arts. Um, and he basically did the show, not the, not the line of clothes, but the show itself was partially based on my dad. Um, so my dad did the martial arts at martial arts schools. He had a school in Detroit. Royceman, I was telling you that had a school up there, our sister school, um, in Chicago. And so what he decided to do was kind of like use my dad and, and like, our our story in the martial arts, the black story in the martial arts, and just put on this dope ass, you know, thing. He what he created. Like you can still see, um, if you go to Amen Break Louis Vuitton on YouTube, you can still see it, or you can go to Louis Vuitton. I think it's still up on Louis Vuitton's website, I'm not sure. And watch it's like a 15 minute like mini film fashion show, crazy. You'll see me in there working with the sword. You'll see two other brothers, Julian Williams and Damian Williams, literally brothers, half black, half Japanese, uh, captain of the men's kendo team doing a kendo exhibition is just a crazy dope situation. So shout out to my brother Virgil for putting that together and showing that type of love to my dad and adding on to that legacy. So it's dope. So check it out. It's called Amen Break. Um, and it's on YouTube. That dude Virgil is a genius, man. And that shit that you, that you posted looked fucking amazing. That shit looked amazing. That's the perfect, that's the perfect blend of fashion, hip hop and expertise. I fucking love it. I love it. Yeah, y'all got Chicago won this one. Well, I mean, y'all can have Chicago? it today. Y'all can have it today. Y'all can have it today. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm thinking about you know wearing one of the uh, track shoots track suits with some neon shades and a bucket hat. I'm sure you probably already it created it and bootlegged it in your in your garage. Wasn't he born in Detroit? Did he move to Chicago? He might have been. That's what it says on Wikipedia. <laughs> I see both of you are operating at, at, at high levels of chicanery today. It's fine. Um, nah, Vir- I, Virgil, actually, I think he grew up in uh, uh, Rockford, Illinois, which is super south. But uh, I think his dad, I think his, his, I think he's like Ghanaian or something in his background. I can't remember. I don't want to give his biography. But yeah, Virgil's the homie. Been knowing him for like 15 years. Super dope dude, man. Like you said, a genius mm-hmm. and super great. I love stuff, what he's man. doing, man. So that's what that is, Tom. There's not a fashion line based off of, like, get the story right, goddammit. Man. So have you, Rizza, Norda, Jizza, you y- you guys never thought to, like, do anything with each other? Kind of like in the, the the combat space, like the karate space? I mean, because it's like, well, why the fuck didn't that happen? What the fuck's going on? Yo, we need a virtual for that to happen? I got the funniest Rizza story. Of all time. It's not funny. It's tragic and funny, but dope, but funny and tragic. Um, and you know, so, you know, Riza, Riza, Riza did the martial arts. So I think he did like Shaolin Kung Fu, like properly. I don't know if that's the case for the other members of, of Wu Tang, but you know, all their references come from like martial arts films, Kung Fu films, stuff like that. And I think Riza actually took the step to actually go learn Shaolin Kung Fu. And then also, um, you know, RZA did all the music for like Afro Samurai, like that that uh, that anime film uh, with Samuel Jackson, 
uh, playing Afro Samurai and stuff like that. Um, and then also RZA did like, I think he did a film called like, I forgot what it's called, like the Iron Hand or something like that. Like check, look that up, Tom. Like RZA did like a Kung, a proper like Kung Fu film. Um, watch the thing he directed, right? So I know what you're talking about. So here's where, mm-hmm. here's where, here's where people, a- another like kind of like, woe is me. Why they be doing Lupe so wrong story? Prepare yourself. So RZA was doing a soundtrack, right? And so he was looking for people to be on the, on the soundtrack and do stuff for the soundtrack. I don't know if he knew how deep I was in the martial arts. Like most people in the industry might don't, don't know that. Right. And just kind of seeing it now or in different places. So I don't think he knew how deep I was in the, in martial arts and Kung Fu and stuff like that. So when he brought me in, uh, you know, they wanted to, you've probably been through this, uh, as well, Royce. Like when people want you on a project, they'll come in and like, you know, premiere or show you like what the thing is, you know, like us, this, the, so we went to some studio in, in LA where Rizzo was. And he, I think he was like mixing the sound for the film and just to kind of talk about like, you know, you know, this is the idea I have for the song. Cause the song is kind of meant to be tailored to the film and it's like, all right, cool. So I'm watching little pieces of the, of the film um, you know, chatting back and forth with RZA about my martial arts experience, right? And this is a Quentin Tarantino film, right? I, I think so. Yeah, I, don't know, I think I don't it's know. the man with the iron fist. The man with the iron fist. Yeah. Isn't it like a part two or something like that too? Or uh, that I don't know. Russell Crowe was in it too. So, uh, so we talking, we in the studio talking, 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 talking. And, uh, so like, all right, cool. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm gonna go, go, you know, brainstorm some stuff, think about some stuff, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so when we leave, uh, Rizzo was like, yeah, I right, Wiz. As in Khalifa? Yeah. Or are you, you a wizard, or are you a wizard with the words? Uh, I wish it was the wizard of the words, but I, I think that whole time that I was there, that Rizzo thought I was Wiz Khalifa. <laughs> That's funny. And I didn't correct him. And I was like, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just own that. I'm gonna just keep that safe. I'm gonna hold it until I get a podcast with Royce, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell that story on the podcast. That's fantastic. Yeah, man. Lupe, if it makes you feel any better, I wouldn't have corrected him either, bro. <laughs> it just, it just seemed like it would take too much work, man. Because then you gotta do, you gotta do a whole do over, man. It's like we gotta reshow you everything. Oh man. And I was like, did man. he know? And so in the car ride home, I was like. Did he know? Like my mind was just like, did he know I was Lupe? Or did he think he was like, did he even know Lupe was there? Like, like I don't even know anymore. Okay, I think of. he knew. I think he knew you were there. I think just in that moment, you think he just he screwed around your name, but he knew he was talking to you. He he knew he wasn't talking to the tall guy who made fucking <laughs> black and yellow. You know I what? Mean, we you never we know. might have to get to the bottom of this. So you don't know to this day. I don't know to this day. Royce, we're if, gonna get to the bottom. If of this. he if he thought that I was that if he thought that I was Wiz Khalifa, I am gonna get to the bottom of that. I think I had dreads um, then. I think, maybe. I mean, it's it's possible. It po- it's possible. Mm-hmm. I might have had the baby dreads. You know, it might have been like, and and I think they were asking for people from Atlanta because you know me and Wiz was on the same was on the same record label. So did I you, think that's how it came apart. Did you walk in there? Did you have Amber Rose with you? <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out was what's I, going was on. Was I smoking? Was I, y'all like, are literally nothing alike, man. Was I like chain smoking like joints? Man, Is it like, a lot I don't know, taller man. than you? 
He tall. He tall. Yeah. Shout to Wiz though. I remember being on tour with Wiz. And uh where were we? We had some show in New York. And this that was the day that I learned that I was allergic to uh to stage smoke. Like the smoke machine. Mm. Yeah. And we did it we doing doing this show and I completely lost my voice. Ooh. On stage. Couldn't and I was just like, I don't know what to do. And then didn't what, realize what did you do? Was smoke. I did I couldn't do shit. I couldn't did you have a hype man? He just walked off. Did you have a hype man? Was I was I with a hype man? I'm, maybe I don't know. There's a, there's like nothing I could do. It was like I can't talk right now. Like I can't I rem- speak. I remember my voice went out completely out in Philly one time, man, and everybody was just they were just looking so like excited for me to say another line, and I just didn't have it. <laughs> so what'd you do? You just literally had to. <laughs> I had to tell him I, I had to tell him I can't even finish. I can't even finish. I ain't gonna lie to you. I had to go to, I went, I ended up going to a, to see a doctor and getting a steroid shot. Yeah, but you, were you able to tell them like, hey, I can't, I can't finish? Yeah, I could, I could, I could, I could talk a little bit. Like it was like laryngitis talk. You know how that is when you're not, when you're not trying to put your voice in any sort of register. Uh, if I, you, you just keep it, oh, God, I'm dang. I can't even finish it, man. <laughs> wow. See, I, I couldn't even talk, bro, if I remember correctly. So it's like people had no idea what was going on. It's like, what? Mm. It's like, <clears throat> so you just <clears throat> walked off. And what happened? I don't, I'm, I can't remember. I think, like, you don't know. Now I know exactly what happened. Right. That it was like they kicked off the smoke machine. The smoke machine got into my into my throat and then just closed my 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 body was like, that shit's poison. We're not breathing that in and like closed all that shit off. So my throat was done. And I know that because I that it happened a few more times. And I then I was like, yeah, like, was I screaming too loud? Was my you know, what I'm saying like, do I got laryngitis? Like, what is that? And it was like, oh, it's that fucking smoke machine. So now I don't use smoke machines like at all, like on stage. But. It was like, I don't know, like, what? I don't know what. So I think I left to try and see if my voice would come back and kind of came back. Then I don't know if I was like, I'm going to just scream through this shit and just finish it. But it was it was a disaster. And I bet Wiz Khalifa was looking over there with a, with a joint, just like, that's why you should smoke. That's why you should smoke, dog. That's why Rizzo don't know mm. who the fuck you is. <laughs> You're listening to the Lupe and Royce show with Lupe Fiasco, Royce the Five Nine, and Tom Frank. Royce, we've been talking about our sponsor, BetterHelp, for months now. Months! Uh, but for listeners out there who still haven't tried it, uh, could you give us some reasons uh, why they should consider counseling with a licensed professional therapist? Well, for me, I personally go to therapy just to gain perspective on things, just to learn how to communicate a little bit better so I can improve myself. No matter what your goals are or what's standing in the way of your happiness, BetterHelp can help. God knows both of you need it. Uh, BetterHelp will connect you with a licensed professional therapist in a convenient, safe, and private online environment in as little as 24 hours. It's available worldwide, and BetterHelp allows you to send a message to your counselor anytime, as well as schedule a weekly video or phone session. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, offers financial aid, and provides counselors with expertise and experience like anxiety, anger, trauma, and stress. Get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com slash Lupe and Royce. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lupe and Royce.
You're listening to the Lupe and Roy Show with Lupe Fiasco, Royce the Five Nine, and Tom Frank. We got somebody waiting to to jump in here, and I'm yeah, bringing this special. It better not. It better not be Wiz Khalifa. I swear it's going to gonna be Wiz because um, I I telegraphed this moment. Um, no, I, we had a, we had a question come up from a uh, from a. Uh, from one of our, our, our loyal listeners. And I wanted to bring an expert in to answer this question. But I'm going to give the question to you first, Royce. So Renee Davis wants to hear our take on, and hopefully I'm saying this right, the Gervonta Tank Davis fight. She said she's a big boxing fan. She's always loved the discipline and the strategy of the sport. She was at a recent fight in Atlanta where the main event was Gervonta Tank Davis. The atmosphere of the fight was electric, and she just loves it when – when uh, the, the black and brown community can sell out a venue and celebrate a sport that was also almost destroyed by Don King. What do you, what do you know? But I'm going to bring in an expert here because I was talking to him the other day and he said he wants back on the show. He wants to, he wants to come back. He's I now, he's now a regular. I bet you this is showtime. I knew it was showtime. I mean, I showtime's I back, showtime. man. He, he is a friend of the, of, the, of the podcast. When he wants on, he comes on. And now I want to get into this Don King thing. I want your take. I didn't know it was a Don King thing. Porter on Don King. What's that? Did, did is Don King was he great for the sport or did he destroy so, the so sport? So don't set the, hold on. Don't don't set Showtime off like that. Like send give him the the, the context. A, a fan. All right, let me give you the yeah. context. We had we had we had a uh, listener write in and say I'm a boxing fan. I've always loved the discipline and the strategy of the sport. I was at the recent fight in Atlanta where the main event was Dervante Tank Davis. The atmosphere of the fight was electric. I love when Brown and Black can sell out a venue and celebrate a sport that was almost destroyed by Don King. A lot of people don't know about this, but there's something called the Muhammad Ali Act. And that is where mm-hmm. you can't represent a fighter as both a promoter and as a manager. And that was something that Don King was notorious for. Uh, and I, I don't want to get myself in trouble or anything like that. But the long story short is Don was known for uh, promoting fighters and also managing the same fighters that he was promoting and basically getting paid on both sides uh, of the coin. And, um, the, the Muhammad Ali act was, uh, was created basically so that fighters would not be, uh, for the sake of words, used or promoted and managed by one team and not get everything, get the fruits of their labor. Uh, so, uh, Don was notorious for that. I don't think Don, in terms of like black and brown uh selling, I don't think Don was had anything to do with that. I think Don always he kinda always crept over to whoever won the fight. You know, you could have been from the Ukraine and you could have been fighting, you know, the black guy that he was representing. And when he saw that fight going the Ukraine's way, he started this, you know, tiptoe his way over there, you know. So <laughs> he staged he stayed he staged some he staged some of the some of the greatest boxing events in the history of the sport. I think he took what he learned from the streets of Cleveland and what he learned um on his way up and and took all that to the to the sport of boxing i think in a lot of ways you could say that he transcended the sport it all depends on what what you're looking at and and what you want uh out of boxing i think he did a lot for boxing and i think he left some scars on boxing too so showtime what have you been up to since last we talked i've been working since we last spoke um I actually was expecting to be able to announce a fight soon. Uh, that got put on hold when, uh, uh, Tyson Fury and his whole camp just tested positive for, uh, this, this coronavirus that everybody seems wow. to mysteriously think passed away. 
Uh, it's still here, it's still alive. So I, I'm keeping my mask on and doing everything I got to do. But yeah, I think that um, a, bit, a fight like that, it's a pay-per-view fight. It's a trilogy. Uh, I saw I saw uh, Tyson Fury back in May. And uh, we were talking about the fight. I said, man, nobody knows what's going to happen. That's what I love about this fight. He says, no, you. everybody knows what's going to happen. I'm going to go over there and snap him, uh, punch him in his face again and knock him out again. I was like, I was like, damn. But when you take a look at this fight, Deontay got something that nobody in this world has had before. And that's just this right hand that will send shockwaves through through anything. And if he's able to land that punch, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, so I'm not completely sold that this fight is Tyson Fury's. I'm not sold either. I'm not sold. And I'm not sold on him having the coronavirus. <laughs> Hey, listen. Hey, now he's starting to, you know, we were talking about Don King and his history and and his legacy. Well, you know, uh, Tyson Fury's got a little bit of a history himself in terms of the way he moved before, during, Mm -hmm. and after fights. You know what I mean? I'm not really, Mm -hmm. I'm not into, you know, all the, the, the speculations and things like that. But when you take a look at this fight, and you take a look at how close they was and, you know, how people have come up with this coronavirus. I don't know, man. I don't know. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I just got, oh, I just got what you were saying. Ooh. Mm, mm, mm. So, 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 uh, Royce, uh, you, 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 uh, you know the game pretty well. Do you think that this could be an advantage for Deontay Wilder in terms of this fight getting, getting postponed? Um, I don't know if it's an advantage. I don't know if it's, a, it's an advantage, but there, there's a reason. I feel like there's a reason why Tyson don't want to. He's not ready. There's something going on. And I, I don't know if it's the coronavirus virus or what it is, but <clears throat> whatever it is, it's going to show. It's going to show. And all I could all I could think about is those shots that Deontay landed in that first fight and, and Tyson Fury falling backwards and landing on his back, landing on his back. And then just jumping up out of nowhere, like, dog, what was he? What, what? Who does that? Dog, I was like, man, that no, if you, if a human got nine lives, he lost seven of them <laughs> right with that knockdown. So if he get knocked down like that again, he will not get up. He will not get up. And all it's going to take is for Deontay to land that right hand, like, like Sean Porter said, for sure. Oh, I've been I've been studying the first two fights because I was expecting the comment or uh, work on the commentary side of of the fight, and so I study both the fights. The biggest difference with the first fight and the second fight is Tyson Fury gave Deontay Wilder room to breathe. It gave him room to think, and he allowed Deontay to to kind of operate. The second time around, he's like, "I'm coming right at you." And nobody's ever came at Deontay before, and I don't think he knew how to deal with that. And so I think that because Deontay has been in the ring with somebody now coming at him, I think he's going to be more 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 equipped for that now. So what I saw in the first fight was that Deontay, if you give him room, he can use his jab, and he's got, like, decent boxing skills. I know everybody talks that he ain't got no skills at all. I raised my hand and, and saying, like, I was saying that, but... When I went back and looked at that first fight, I'm like, okay, he was popping the jab. He was going head and body. He had room to breathe. And it was allowing him, giving him time to think and letting him work. And 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 Tyson Fury didn't let him work at all that second fight. So I think this third fight, 
Number one, I think Deontay need to come out and throw. What what was up in that second fight? Like it was like as soon as as soon as Tyson Fury touched him, it was like Deontay was just not the same. I really looking at the fight, I really think it was a it was a combination of a lot of things. I think it was a combination of him being really antsy in the moment. I think that uh, the crowd was the biggest crowd he's ever fought in front of. And I think he could hear that that was not an American crowd. That that crowd was like mm-hmm. 70% uh, 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 English people and, and people from, from Europe. And I think that that had something to do with his jitters coming out in the first round. And I don't think he had room to get his feet wet and get comfortable in the ring. And I think that there was a blitz coming at him as well. And, you know, if somebody tell you, you know, in a street fight, I'm coming at you, I'm coming at you, I'm coming at you. And when it's when it's go time, if they come at you, it's like, damn, this is what he said he was gonna do. You know what I mean? So I don't think What 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 what, what was going on with his glove? What you think? I, I, I still I don't know if I wanna get into that for myself. I don't know whether or not I wanna get into that. So what, what, what tell what tell me this, tell me this. Why okay, being a fighter, right? When you when you look at somebody's glove, if somebody's glove is like moving as they're throwing punches, is that is that all? Would that always just absolutely be an indicator that something is in it, or could that be something else that the people aren't aware of? Because there's a lot of speculation about it. I got my thoughts on it, but I ain't gonna share my thoughts on it either because I don't want you to. Well, the thing that I thought, which is what what made me think that there could his hand could be loose on the end. He's got extremely mm-hmm. long hands. He's got extremely long fingers. I, I saw his hands when we were in some meetings. I was like, damn, this dude's got long hands. I know that my hand and an eight ounce, excuse me, not, uh, what I find? I find that eight ounce gloves. My hand does not, mm-hmm. it's really tight in the eight ounce gloves. I, I, I've fought in fights and been very uncomfortable from round one to the end of the fight. I've been in fights where my hands went numb periodically throughout the fight and it's because mm-hmm. the gloves are that tight. So, what we started mm-hmm. to do, what you can do, because they are all new gloves, what you can do once you get the gloves in your possession in the back room, you can bend them, you can you can do everything you need to do to get them loose, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So I've seen people do things like fold the glove in half and then tie it up and leave it like that for an hour or so before they put them on just to loosen it up. So Really, the only, the first thing my mind goes to is his hand's too big for the glove, and it may be just, just how it fits. And the other side of that mm-hmm. is, just, just like it's us right now on this, on this, uh, on this call, there's people in the room nonstop looking at everything that's going on. And so for me, I find mm-hmm. it very hard to believe. And I think a lot of fighters out there too find it very hard to believe that anything could have been done that the commission did not see or that his team did not mm. see. And he even threw his team under the bus saying that they weren't looking out for him in the, in the fighter in the, in his opponent's room. So it's a lot to be said about that, but I'm not do sure. Do you, do you buy, or what do you think about the, the, the narrative that because he wore that big, heavy um, ring entry suit that it, it tired out his legs? Uh, I'll say this when we were, actually broadcasting the fight they they watched Deontay and Tyson come like from the time they left the room had the had the camera following the cars to the con to the time that they got into the venue he took a long walk all the way through the MGM Grand all the way down to his room then once he got to his room Mm -hmm. a lot of fighters we kick our feet up we chilling we cooling that's what we saw in Tyson's room he was just straight cooling in his Mm -hmm. room and in Deontay's room, he was pacing back and forth. 
And again, when I talk about mm-hmm. the moment kind of getting the best of him, I thought that that had something to do with it. I, th- I think that he was a little nervous going into the ring. And I think that he was on his feet a little bit more than he needed to before he even made mm-hmm. his walk to the ring. Then we talk about him having on a suit that was electrifying for the moment, but it very well could have took something out of him along the walk. Now, again, keep in mind, this controls everything. And y'all know that. So when this gets tired, everything else going to get tired. So all of the mm-hmm. thoughts that he was thinking through that long walk to the MGM, all of the thoughts that he was thinking through his pacing back and forth, all that, he was he was mentally exhausted, I think, and trying to keep himself up emotionally and everything else physically. And I think that that took a little toll on him. I think it's a lesson that he's going to learn from uh, coming mm-hmm. this next fight. We, we were talking uh, about the fight that just had passed, the Mayweather-Paul uh, fight, right? Um, and we were talking about, and I, is, is that why that kind of question about Don King and Javante kind of came up, um, because of, uh, uh, Tom? And it was like, is that good for boxing? Right. So now that we're kind of like a month out from it or however long from out of it, um, I said that I don't think it was, I don't think that it was. I think it was just like a, a nice payday for them both, but I don't think it really had like an impact on that sport. But I could, I could again, uh, 100% wrong. But asking you a professional again, now that it's happened, it's done. We out, we, we get into other fights. Other fighters are kind of coming back online, et cetera. Uh, do you, what do you think is the legacy, uh, of that fight? Legacy of that? There's no, there's no legacy in that. So let's start with that. No, no, there's no, there's no legacy (laughs) in that. That just was something that those two gentlemen decided to do. But I Mm. think, um, the only analogy that I can really come up with is like the Portway podcast coming on the Lupe and Roy show. It's a collaboration. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna post and, and show everybody what I did. You're gonna post and show everybody what you did, and hopefully we'll all be eating from it. Boxing needs to learn mm-hmm. what these Paul brothers are doing and start collaborating and stop trying to push them out the door. It's not about saying that they can get with us, that they are elite and that they are world class. There's no secret that they're not. Allow them to keep doing it how they're doing it, but start to eat from that. Start to say, hey, come to our shows. Promote our shows on what you're doing. And that that's how boxing can benefit from it. But as long as boxing continues to try to shut the door to them and say, y'all ain't doing it like us, y'all not us, and so on and so forth. He bringing millions and millions of followers to his to his platform. You hate on him, and what you don't realize is that you hating on a million other people that you that could opportunity you could take an opportunity away from them becoming boxing fans. So he's bringing eyes to the sport. I don't think it matters how he's bringing those eyes. The fact remains the same. He's bringing eyes to the sport, and we got to start learning and eating from that plate. I think I still look back at it now, and I'm actually I think it's even better for the sport than I did back then. Like he he's talking about it on his podcast. I mean. He's talking about boxing. And I think even people that normally wouldn't have, wouldn't watch a box now have a curiosity. And, and they actually, I think, I think, I think naive, I think people that don't know the sport realize these guys aren't great boxers. And now they look at guys like you and, and they, but I'm saying now they can appreciate even more so what you do than what they did. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's really, it's about timing. You know what I mean? So this is the timing of, the Paul brothers, and this is the timing of we had Ocho Cinco in the ring that same night. You know, it's time, yeah. it's the timing for them now, and it's this social media era. And I think that 
if boxing starts to schedule their things around what the Paw Brothers are doing or right before the Paw Brothers are doing or, or figure out a way to collaborate with them and promote their fights and things like that, I think that that helps the, the sport grow. I have a 10-year-old cousin walked up to me. This is before the Mayweather and Paw fight. Walks up to me and says, are you, are you going to fight Jake Paw? I'm like, what? How do you know Jake Paul's a boxer, but you can't tell me any other fighter that's in the boxing game is something that he's doing right that we can learn and benefit from, and it's just a matter of time. So I think it's good for the sport. I think that, uh, you know what I mean, I, I, it's got to be small doses. You know what I mean? At the same time, I'm not saying that, you know, Showtime and DAZN and Fox and PBC, I don't, I'm not saying that they should put on a lot of YouTube fights and things like that, but definitely invite those guys to the fights. Try to try to get us on their platforms and so on and so forth. I think it it it, it puts a bigger uh, bigger uh, uh, landscape, uh, bigger eyes uh, on the sport. And the other thing I would say about that is we we kind of even learned from this collaboration, right? I mean, the more you have a podcast now, so you're out there talking about boxing. You've been on this show, which is predominantly a a rap and hip hop audience who just so happen to be also huge boxing fans. Um, and so I just think the more that personalities like yourself and like others can start getting out there and promoting the sport, I think that's that's how you gain popularity. That's been what I've wanted to do for a long time. I've wanted to bring um, shed a different light on, on boxing. I think that every I think this is the bad boy sport. Of sports, everybody thinks that we're ignorant. Everybody thinks that we're uneducated. Everybody, everyone thinks that we don't pay our taxes and we don't know finances and we don't know how to. We don't know about credit and so on and so forth. Nobody really gives us our just due, and I think it's because of the history of boxing. So when I when I turned pro, I was like, man, I'm gonna change how everybody feels a fighter, what everybody thinks a fighter is, and what everybody thinks boxing is. And so that's kind of been. Uh, what I've been after, you know, for a long time now, and I think it's starting to come to, uh, I just started Motivational Monday. I'm going to do one Motivational Monday episode a week, a month, uh, just to start. Uh, the next show, I'm, I'm trying to get it done uh, before I leave to broadcast the Olympic Games. I'm trying to get um, Dave Tolliver from Men at Large, uh, R&B mm. singer from back home in Cleveland. He's out here. This weekend, and so I mean, I'm like, yo, you gotta come do this podcast. It's gonna go up in a couple of weeks, but I don't want it to be just a boxing podcast. I'm going from just the boxing to now this motivational Monday, which is gonna be from everywhere, from doctors to lawyers to R&B singers, rappers. Uh, eventually, have y'all on, so on and so forth. But I'm going to, I want to capitalize on what I have, and eventually take all that to boxing, and and, and that's my way to help the, the sport grow. You're listening to the Lupe and Royce Show with Lupe Fiasco, Royce to 5'9", and Tom Frank. Guys, you got to kick your summer off in style with the brand that's reinventing men's basics, Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is so much more than just underwear. Their full collection includes t-shirts, polos, button-ups, shorts, pants, swims, and so much more. With light and breathable fabric technology, Mack Weldon keeps you cool and comfortable all summer. From work to working out, happy hour to playing with your kids, Mack Weldon has men's essentials for whatever your day includes. Now, I got some shirts. I've been wearing them. They look good on me. I don't know if it's the shirts or if it's me, but either way, it's the shirts. You think it's the shirts? You don't think you don't think it's me that makes the shirts look good? Nah, you ain't got that type of physique yet. Are you working out, Tom? 
uh, I've had a lapse the last like couple weeks. I was on vacation, but Lou, are you going to experiment here with these Mack Weldon shirts? Yeah, I also got some Mack Weldon stuff. I got some shirts and some drawers and some socks. And uh, I got their silver stuff, which is uh, antimicrobial, anti-funky. For, for folks who don't know what antimicrobial means, that's just slang for you stank. So they got some anti-stanking shirts. And I am going to do a little experiment to, to put that to the test. I'm going to wear one of these Mack Weldon t-shirts, which is a nice, it's a nice t-shirt. I'm going to wear it for like three days and see if I can uh, test that antimicrobial, a.k.a. stanky. Three days in a row. Yeah, three days in a row. And see, see, I traveled with them. They're a great go-to. It's a, it's a, it's a great shirt, man. Shout out to Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon, you can get... 20% off your first order by visiting MacWeldon.com slash Lupin Royce and enter promo code Lupin Royce. That's MacWeldon.com slash Lupin Royce. Promo code Lupin Royce for 20% off. MacWeldon. They're reinventing men's basics. You're listening to the Lupin Royce show with Lupe Fiasco, Royce the Five Nine, and Tom Frank. Yo, about the Olympics, right? Segwaying into that, right? Um, two things. Well, actually, one thing. What do you think about Miss Richardson and her kind of ordeal? Um, especially, especially, especially like, like I, my, just to, I've never spoken on it publicly, but my, my piece is just like, you know, rules is rules. You know, like that's the way I look at it. Like rules is rules. I get all of the other pieces, all the other context, all the other parts, but it's like rules, rules are rules. And, you know, her accepting that was like, oh, cool. You know, we, we good here, you know, kind of a situation. Um, but you actually being a part of the Olympics in a certain, to, in a certain capacity, um, coming from the sport world, coming from a sport where rules in certain, in certain instances, the difference between life and death, you know, in that boxing ring, you know, um, what, what, what's your take on, on, on that, on her piece? This is why I tell young kids, I try to tell them like, you gotta find the time. Is, is everything's about timing. You know, it's not always time to have fun, but you ain't always got to be serious. Find those moments when you want to relax and, and enjoy life, but you got to be smart about it. And I think that that, that that was irresponsible for her to do that uh, at the point in time. You know what I mean? Like you, you're away from the biggest event that you could be a part of in, in, your, in your respective sport. And with that being said, you just got to make a, a, a responsible decision. I think that that was... A decision that now she's going to mature from and understand that they ain't playing with me. I, I am the best, or one of the best. And just because I am one of the best, it, it, it doesn't mean I get to do what I want to do. So, um, it, And it's hard, too, because I am a clean fighter and I'm a clean person in general. So it's I don't know mentally what she could have been going through, or what she was wanting out of the moment, anything like that. I, I know a lot of people say it's just marijuana. I really don't know what it does or what it doesn't do. Everybody says it doesn't enhance what you do in your sport. And I get that. But like you just said, Lou, uh, rules is rules. And with that being said, I mean, I just think that um, the Olympics, they have to set, keep that bar high where it is. Uh, even for me, I'm going as a broadcaster, but I can't, I can't wear street clothes, even though I'm just going to be uh, I'm I'm doing it remotely too, so I don't even know how much I'm gonna be on TV. But they still say, hey, bring three suits, bring some ties, bring some shirts, bring everything that you need. So rules is rules, and you know we we all have to adapt and and do what we have to do, make them sacrifices. And she knew that, you know. So we 
we can't just say, you know, you wanted the best, you should go. She knows what the rules are and she knows what the sacrifices are that need to be made. So Rush, you Rush, I see I saw you you blame the weed man. <laughs> we should find a weed man and, and fuck him up. <laughs> well what's what's your what's your take on it, Royce? I know you always got the the other context and parameters in it. She a baby, man. She a baby. Like you it's good to make these kinds of mistakes early. You know what I mean? Because she gonna learn her her greatest lessons by making these kinds of mistakes. Once it's able to sink in, she's not gonna be able to achieve what she had, what she set out to achieve. She get it out the way, she's gonna still be the best next year, or whenever the the next Olympus is. And she's gonna be older and she's gonna be wiser. You know what I mean? I ain't gonna be super critical of her. Now to that point, though, I mean, yes, you're right when it comes to I think normal people, but Olympians only have a very short window. Right. I mean, you say, yeah, she might be back, but that, that's four years from now. And four years on a runner is a long time. Um, How old is she? She's she young, like but super, I mean, she, super young she, 20s. She was four years ago, also in the Olympics and did fantastic. Right. So. Fun fact about the Olympics. I think the oldest person or the person who's been in the most Olympics. What sport? What sport do you think it is? Because there's, there's this one lady who's been in the Olympics more than anybody. In summer or winter? It's got to be a bizarre sport. Can you give us a clue? No. No clue? This ain't Jeopardy. Uh, I'm going to go with like something like a track and field related. Like a, what are those people called that throw that thing? Shot put? A shot putter. Spoken like a true athlete, Tom. <laughs> Is it track and field? Because I was thinking track and field. Bryce, it's not Shaq and Field. Bryce, you, um, oh, wait a minute. you put in your answer, it was wrong. No, no time, you're done, Royce. I, I, I can't even. I can't it's even. a I was horse gonna, rider. I was gonna, yeah, it's a horse rider. I knew rider, it. I knew it. I knew it. You didn't know it. You you were wrong. and you, you was, No, but it's a, it a horse rider. If like, it would have been multiple I choice, she, I would have nailed it. I think she's been in like the most, like, go double check for me, Tom, but I think she's been in like the most Olympics ever. Like in terms of like one athlete coming, always coming back, coming back, coming back. It's always, I think, horse riding. But when Maybe we, not the same horse, though. When, that would be impressive. When, when, was she, when was she in her prime, would you say? When the horse was in its prime. <laughs> hey, so here's another interesting fact that I just learned about equestrian. Uh, they said that uh, the, the, the horses have emotions just like the humans, the people that are riding them. And so college... Mm-hmm. The way you have home field advantage is the visiting team has to ride your horses. There's, they wow. don't. They don't know the. They don't know the personalities. Hey, they don't have a relationship with the horse, and that's how you have field advantage in the equestrian. Wait, you can't bring your own horses? No, not, as as told to me by someone who who coaches the the equestrian team, she says the way you get the way there's home field advantage is the visiting team has to ride their horses. Has the right the the home team's horses, and that's how they wow. have a uh, 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 home field advantage because they don't have a relationship with the horses. So that's messed up. Yeah, that sounds kind of crazy. All right, the the guy who it's a guy who and he's a Canadian. Uh, unless you were talking about America, but he, there's a Canadian by the name of Ian Miller who has been in ten Olympic games as a Canadian equestri- equestrian team equestrian, athlete yeah. for show jumping. I think it's a, I think he's in a lady too. He's been to 10 different Olympics. So what is that? That's 40 that's, years. That's 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Wow, 
And he's, wait a minute. So he's 74 right now. Is he still competing? Uh, yeah, why not? All he got to do is keep his weight down. Get a horse. Keep that horse correct. That's funny. Now, in, in London in 2012, he participated in his 10th Olympics. So that's, that's, the, that's the most ever. Okay, got it. got it. That's crazy. Wait a minute. I want to go back to the Olympics thing. So you are going to be uh, broadcasting remotely. So you won't actually be – when you say remotely, though, where? Here in the U.S. or you're, you're still going to be over in Japan? I'll be in Connecticut. Oh, so oh. NBC has a uh, has a studio out there. They they're like their biggest campus is out there in Connecticut. I've never been. Um, Stamford, Connecticut. Yeah, in Samford, Connecticut. I have a uh, I have a cousin who lives there. I might have to give you his name and number. He's also interesting. Fun fact about this guy: he's the communications director for the NBA. So. We might have to do something out there. So how come we ain't got tickets, Tom? How come you ain't giving our guests tickets, season tickets? I've, I've, I haven't team? bought a I haven't bought a basketball ticket to an NBA game. And you months. haven't bought a basketball oh, oh, ticket. That's what we're talking it. about. We're talking about us, Tom. That's a damn shame. You've been sitting on that this whole time. Mm. Mm. I like I like the NBA. You need hands put on you for that one, man. <laughs> Showtime. What's gonna happen with Spence and Pacquiao? You think Spac? You think Pacquiao got enough left in the tank? We won't know until it happens. You know, if we go based off of his last fight, which was two years ago, he looked he looked good against against Thurman. I just don't. I don't think Thurman was was ready for him. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it took Thurman some rounds to really get going. And also, Manny slowed down. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is yeah, a fifty fifty fight? I don't know. Well. Mm. It's only a 50-50 fight if you can like if you can speculate that Manny is gonna have enough there. But if if you're going off just how he looked against Thurman, I wouldn't say it's a 50-50 fight. Spence too young, too strong. Too young, too strong. But Manny just got He got tricks, man. He got tricks. You just can't count him out. You can't count him out. Styles make fights, man. Um I really like what I've seen from Manny. And uh, and Freddie for a long time, especially with training with him, I saw those guys. It was like, this is the five or six things that we're gonna do to win this fight. And they, I watched. They would go to fights with five or six things and blow dudes out. They, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like Freddie tells uh, Manny what Arrow's gonna do, tells Manny what mm-hmm. he needs to do, and. I don't know, man. I, I, I feel that. like it's 50-50. I, I saw that with that Ricky Hatton fight. I feel like that game plan was executed perfectly. He was like, what was he? He was throwing like a he was throwing like a hook over he was throwing like a hook over like his jab or something. You know what I'm talking about? Over, you know his, I'm talking about? over his right hand, yeah. How 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 many how many points on like, you know, if it's like a video game, right? How many points does a trainer like Freddie Roach add to your kind of arsenal? If you're just kind of the standard run of the mill fighter, like if, if Freddie Roach got with say Jake Paul, right? Like what, what all would he add to him? And would it, would it, would it, could it carry over into Jake Paul being considered like, yo, that dude is a problem? That's a great question. I don't think so. I think that Freddie's one of the guys, I, I think that Freddie's one of the guys that as long as you got the intangibles, he can give you the little, the little nuggets that you need. 
and you can go in the, into the ring like really equipped and and, mm. and and ready to handle the business. But I think that if you if you still need help with your basics, if you're not throwing your hook right, if you're not stepping with your punches, Freddie not there to fix all that. Freddie can't fix mm. all that in a matter of two or three months and get you to a fight and still give you the game plan that he really wants to give you. Um, Freddie's giving me some knowledge and it's stuff that I still use today. And I'm like, he, he just knew what he was talking about at that point in time that was specific to me and, and, uh, and it helped me in my, in my boxing career. So I think mm-hmm. that, um, uh, 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 the kid that got the knockout the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Rosario, uh, uh, Rosado, Gabe Rosado. Mm-hmm. He's working with Gabe, and I think Gabe is a guy who's come through the ranks, has done it all. I think now he just needs somebody to kind of give him them little nuggets going into the ring. And you saw that fight; he just pulled back on this dude and threw a, and threw a counter punch and knocked dude out cold. And that that to me had the the, the footprints of uh, the fingerprints of uh, of Freddie Roach on it. So mm-hmm. I don't I think do. Freddie Freddie can't take everybody to the top, but if you got like if you got the goods already. He can he can add some stuff and, and really make it better than it was. You think Andre Ward can come back and beat Canelo? This is what I know about Dre. I know that Dre does not stop like just like Bernard. Bernard still trains today. Ain't getting ready for a fight, but he still trains today. Uh same with Dre. And I think that uh I think that Dre will come back if he knows that he can do it. If we see Dre come back. Talking about, I'm one. Of, I'm ready to fight Canelo. I put all my money on Dre because I know that he won't do it if he don't feel in his and if he don't feel that he can make it happen. What What makes Canelo so you know so consequential to the game? Like, is it is it the people that he's fighting just ain't on the same level that he's on? Is it the competition pool or is it just some kind of specific about him? I think it's really it's like a combination of both. I think to this point, especially lately, we haven't seen anybody on his level. The last fight should have never happened. The fight before that should have never happened. I can't remember the last the last fight that I felt he was in that was that was competitive. Uh, I think that there's some guys in, in the 168 pound division that can give him some uh, some competition and 175 as well. But I think if we speak specifically to Canelo, he's got the combination of speed, power, strength. Athleticism, reflexes, like kind of the the every every everything that you need to fight. It's like he has it, and all of it's like tip top. So it's like mm-hmm. he he's kind of outmatched right now, man. It just don't nobody have what it takes to beat him, and it's like he's got everything. You know, he's to me he has he's got the combination of everything that it requires to be a championship fighter. Who should he fight? In in the order, I like Caleb Plant next. I think mm-hmm. that uh, Caleb's got the speed and boxing ability that it that it takes to at least challenge Canelo, make him think, and um, you know I think that's something we haven't seen Canelo do in a long time, which is make adjustments. You know you don't see a fighter make adjustments every fight, but at, at one at one time you're gonna be challenged with somebody that's got something that's a little bit better than you, and you're gonna have to go back to the corner and figure out what they got going on and what you need to do to offset it and 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 beat it. And uh, I think that that's what what Caleb Plant would force Canelo to do. He would force Canelo to try to figure out what's going on and how do I beat this fast white kid. 
after that, David Benavidez. I think that David is the other guy in 168 who's big enough, strong enough. Super problem. But is he fast enough? Have we ever seen a Mexican fighter who fights like Canelo? Not that I'm aware of. Canelo's like a, he's like a, a mixture of, uh, especially now, he's like a mixture of Miguel Cotto and, and maybe like, I really don't even want to say Oscar. I think he's better than Oscar. He's better than Oscar yeah. was. It seemed like ever since he fought Floyd, it's like his defense, at least his ability to slip punches. Like, wow, man. Fight against uh, Mayweather took him to another level. Speaking of speaking of uh, Mayweather and the Olympics, and that's kind of where Mayweather got his, uh, you know, his his rocks off kind of in his amateur career. Um, what what are on, on that level, on the kind of the amateur level, the the Olympic level, is USA kind of like the front leader in 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 terms of the boxing world on that level now, or are there, are there other kind of um, countries that are you think will step up? We haven't really been there since the late 80s. I think that mm. 88 team. USA has not been on uh, towards we, the top since the 80s. We've still gotten medals, but we've gotten medals here and there. You know, um, there was only two medals in 96. And then we've, we've mm. basically gone maybe one or two medals since 96. So this year, I actually uh, recorded the team for the podcast and they all look and sound good. A lot of, so our, our big, our big downfall with, uh, international competition and specifically the Olympic Games is we, here in the States, our competition level is so high that we never end up sending the same people to multiple international competitions. And so mm-hmm. once you get to the, once you get to the Olympic trials, only one guy's, only one guy qualifies to be the, the representative. But he lacks the international experience. And so he's seeing guys for the mm-hmm. first time. He's being in the international tournament for the first time. And it usually ends up being the Olympic Games. This year, we got multiple people on the team who have been to multiple international tournaments and have won multiple international tournaments as well. Mm-hmm. So to mm-hmm. me, or been, been right in between that, that silver and that bronze. And so I feel real good about this team. I think this is the team that can really get us back to that prestige that we had back in the eighties and every year before that, every year before that. When, when did Dre Ward win his gold? Dre won gold in 2000. Okay. Dre uh, won gold in 2000. And then here's another unknown fact that people don't know about Andre Ward. Um, I don't know how old he was when he retired. He retired undefeated, hadn't lost an amateur fight since he was, I think 11 years old, maybe 12. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Wow. You talking about yeah, from twelve to thirty, whatever. He never he hadn't lost a fight, you know. So I know that Mayweather talks about being a goat all the time, and it always it kind of just depends on what perspective you're looking at because there've been other fighters who made it to fifty and zero and kept going and eventually lost some fights after that, you know. So Floyd is not the first fighter to do it fifty and zero, first fighter to do it the way he's done it and make the money that he's made doing it which I think makes him the GOAT, you know, but uh, I always look at somebody like Andre Ward, and to me, that and who he is in and outside of the ring is really what makes me admire him and make him my GOAT, my personal GOAT. I forgot about I forgot about Mayweather in that fight in 96. I'm reading about it now. Yeah, because the U.S. team protested that, and it was unsuccessful. 
Whatever happened with that guy, the Bulgarian who there's did, a, there's he a ever... whole story about that. There's an entire like story about. I seen it a few years ago where it was like, oh, I didn't, what I... the aftermath of the the guy who beat Mayweather? Because mm-hmm. you know, at, at at that point, that's where it kind of like changed for Mayweather. Like it was like, I'm finna go pro. I'm finna go get this money. I'm finna become you know, uh, money may. And uh, they did a profile on the guy that he that won, right? And uh, he's like, I think some guy from mm. Europe or something like that. He was and from Bulgaria. Went, yeah. went through his whole life, and it was like completely two different like arcs, like two completely different paths to like like the exact kind of like opposite, right? Like Mayweather takes his loss and becomes mm. one of the richest boxers of all time. Like this guy just kind of goes into you know, obscurity. And I think he had all type of issues. It's, it was super, I forgot what I seen it on. And I apologize if I'm, if I'm, uh, uh, misinforming or, or going out the way, but there is, there was a, a documentary shot specifically about what happened in the aftermath of that fight. Yeah, Here's the other side of the Olympic program. A lot of American fighters, it's like, we're built for the, the, the professional game. We kind of, we kind of mm-hmm. use the Olympics as kind of that way of catapulting us to a bigger paycheck or a bigger signing bonus and things like that. A lot of fighters don't even know that it, that ain't really the way that it goes. It hasn't gone that way for a long time. But a lot of American fighters, it's like our dreams are being world champions in, in the professional ranks. All those mm-hmm. guys that they're fighting against, they're going to see two, maybe three Olympic games. People forget mm-hmm. that Lomachenko has two gold, gold medals in the Olympics. And it's mm-hmm. not because he couldn't go pro after that second one. It's because... That's all he knew. Growing up, that's all they teach those guys are gold medal, gold medal, gold medal. And when you're not good enough, they snatch you off and they put somebody in who they think is good enough. And they send those guys to multiple Olympic Games so that they can bring medals back to those countries. Over here, it's about money. And those other countries, it's still just about medals. Those other countries now are starting to turn pro and make some money and they're starting to kind of aspire to do that but a lot of us americans we're up against uh amateur fighters who don't care about anything except being amateur champions and amateur gold medalists and a lot of times mm. us we go over there with the mindset of i'm i'm, I'm gonna enjoy this i'm gonna try to win but i, I really want to go mm. pro and make that money you know what about the way what what about the way that they score it isn't it like um is this score like the it's amateurs different. right they changed it. They, they scored it? now like the pros. Oh, oh. And here's another yeah. twist. These these guys aren't wearing headgears now. Wait, when how long they is this the first year or did they last four years ago? I believe the 2016 Rio games were the first games that they that they, they didn't had. wear headgear. Why y'all saying wow? Y'all ain't say wow when Nate Robinson wasn't wearing a damn headgear. <laughs> y'all gonna keep listen, Royce. You gonna keep playing with Nate's name. That man is gonna come to one of your concerts dressed in nothing but. I'm not playing. I'm not playing with that. I'm not playing with that brother's He's gonna name. Slam that brother's dunk playing all with all He's gonna take some bad some boxing gloves. He's gonna slam dunk them on your face. You better quit playing with Nate Robinson, man. I ain't getting to nobody's ring, and I ain't, ain't getting on nobody's backstage. You know how people do it backstage. He's gonna buy a regular <laughs> ticket. Right, you gonna be on one, on the stage. He's gonna leap up from the crowd, right, while you performing and slam dunk two boxing you, gloves in your face. If you notice, if you notice, if you notice, Lou, I've never once been critical of Nate Robinson. I'm critical of how that fight got sanctioned. Don't clean it up now, Royce. <laughs> just just <laughs> know fight. that's what I'm. Crit- that's what I always. That's what I always been saying. <laughs> 
You're listening to the Lupe and Roy Show with Lupe Fiasco, Royce the Five Nine, and Tom Frank. It's official, fellas. The Lupe and Roy Show is now on Patreon. We have three different membership levels designed directly for fans of the show, providing a space for bonus content, priority shoutouts, and responses to your questions. Plus, we got perks like discounts, merch, and early access to news and announcements. If you are listening or watching right now, go check it out at www.patreon.com slash Royce. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Royce. You're listening to the Lupe and Royce show with Lupe Fiasco, Royce to 5'9", and Tom Frank. Now, speaking of the Olympics and this whole idea of gold versus getting over there, and now being a basketball fan, I've been watching Team USA. Have you guys seen any of this? I mean, they lost their first two back-to-back exhibition games since I don't since they were amateurs. And it wasn't somebody some, somebody smoking some weed. Something's going on there, and uh, I don't know what. But then again, so what? Interesting fact. So they they lost to Nigeria. Um, recently, right? They beat Nigeria by 80 for four, four years or whatever it was, four or eight years ago. Um, now though, but back to your point, Showtime, Nigeria actually is full of NBA players. Like they didn't have one NBA player eight years ago and now they have six. So it is, I mean, the whole culture of the Olympics has completely changed, I think, um, in terms of uh, all of these countries are, are, are getting to be more like the U.S. and it's becoming more about money and less about metal and let me ask y'all a question i got i got a question for both of y'all do y'all does your level of uh performance go up or down depending on where you're at and who you're performing for and things like that or if you're smoking weed i I always thought that people rappers who smoke weed cheat so i was i'm like yeah yeah you shouldn't be smoking weed right because you cheat right i felt that so so in so in our I always look at rap as a sport, uh, Showtime. Like it's a, it's it's I look at it I, or, I, or I want it to be that right. Even if it's just an excuse to work out real hard or, or ref, make, give a, give some new excitement to being on the road for fifty days, right? Treat it like man, basketball team's going to roll, F one team's going to roll. So trying like frame it as that. But I I felt back in the day like man, certain certain uh certain artists of note. Who, you know, use substances of note, you know, when they go in the booth, it gives them a certain competitive advantage because it's a mental thing. So it definitely unlocks your mental, your imagination. And I felt that they was cheating. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, yeah, I can't smoke. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't get high. Um, and I always felt that that was like one that gave them a, a, a competitive a- advantage. So let me ask you this, Lou. If me and you, if me and you <laughs> go to the club and we see a pretty girl. And I think everything I'm saying is fucking nailing it because I'm drunk. <laughs> Am I at an advantage? <laughs> Am I gonna get the girl just because I think I'm doing the right shit? But if you if you're in a studio drunk, see here's the difference. If you're in a studio drunk, you might not have those kind of limitations, right? Of like thinking about the audience. And I'll get to your question, Showtime, and then pass it over to my brother. Um, like you, 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 you don't have those kind of like, you finna talk about whatever. 
in the studio, right? And it might be those things that I might be hesitant to talk about, right? Because I'm sober and worried about what people going to think, worried about the community, or, you know, I don't want to make a record with talking about pussy and ass in it. You know what I'm saying? But when you drunk, you might, or high, you might be like, yeah, it's pussy, pussy, pussy all the time. Pussy all the time. And then you got this hit record. I'm over here making a song about skateboarding, right? Struggling to sell 500,000. You are you up on four, five million with the pussy all the time song, right? Or, so, or, or you go 10 years straight rapping about pussy, 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 pussy. <laughs> and everybody be like, and everybody be like, what in the hell is his problem? It's pussy man. <laughs> and you don't even realize what's going on. And it's pussy man and showtime. Look at them. All, they it, did a all it does, all it does is allow you to let go of your inhibitions. That's all. That's all. You know, the drunk person is always the person going, no, I don't take my keys. I'm good to drive. There is, uh, um, going from a stadium one night to a bar the next night like that dip hurts like that hurts. unless you take nine and you unless you then take it, nine, don't, then hurt. it's it like, don't hurt it's like there's like bars 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 eight stadiums <laughs> then 20 bars and it's like it, it, it doesn't matter uh shout tech nine um strange music uh there's a but there is something to that man and you you do question that like you you go into a space and and especially if you're not just about like the money, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like you're getting paid either way. You know, you you might mess around and make more money at the bar than you would performing at the stadium, you know, depending on what, what the situation is, right? But there is you start to question that. You start to question like the promotion. You start to like, did I do enough? Am I famous enough in this town? Is you know, do I got the hit song out right now? Like it it it, it plays on you. Um, you get up there, you don't know what's happening until you get there. Right. The the view from the stage, it looked like trash. Um, but you always kind of got to what, you know, sh- I would say show up early. This this helps show up early before anybody in there, like for your sound check and just go into the crowd, like before there's a crowd, like what the audience is. And then you kind of get it from their perspective. Right. And from their perspective, it's a grand event. It may look like a shitty little club with carpet on the stage from your perspective. And you think that they can see that the crowd can't see none of that. You know, like they come in to kind of see you. They come in to hear the music and it, you know, aesthetically, it might feel like you to you that this is nothing. But to them, it's everything, you know, and whether you. Yeah, I've been in stadiums where you got like, you know, 50,000 people who might know one of your songs. Right. And you got to perform for 30 minutes. Right. And they really just waiting for you, waiting for you to get off the stage so the next person could come or the singer can come or whoever going to come that they actually came and pay money to see. Um, but then you'll go to a, another venue and it's like a hundred people, but they know every word to every album, to every song, you know, and y'all finna rock and, and vibe, you know, and have, have that kind of experience. So, I mean, it definitely plays on you moving from different venues to different audiences. And you, I think what you got to kind of make it is like, it's, that's why I look at it. Like it's a sport. Like I look at it like it's F1, like, oh, it's just a different track. You know what I'm saying? I got to figure out how to master this track. And then we're going to go have a, a big next week. We're in a bigger track. Then this week we're in a smaller track. And you just got to figure out how we're going to re, how we're going to retool a car with these tires, with this engine, with this situation. And that's like what song I'm going to pick. You know, what the set list going to be like. How, what am I, what am I going to wear? What's the energy going to be? What's this? What's that? So, I mean, it, I think it's definitely real. I think it's, I think it, and the same thing with basketball, like you said, home team advantage. Away games, like there's there's an, an inherent advantage to that because you not you not you not with your peoples. You know, what I'm and saying? I'm gonna like, go out I'm on a limb. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say 
that those guys don't look at winning a ring the same as they look at winning the gold medal. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that that's still a big accomplishment, a gold medal. I, I don't know. I don't know. It all ends up at the pawn shop anyway. That's that's the that's the <laughs> you, go to, you got NBA rings and Olympic medals in the pawn shop just waiting for you. <laughs> so so Sean, we appreciate you coming on as always. You have an open open door to always come on the show. Um, I will say for people listening listening this week, we got a very special episode coming up next week. Uh, we're going to be live for all of our Patreon members, and you all are going to get to see a little bit of a sneak peek into all the questions and uh, and a lot of different people getting on the show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until Lupe, then, stop, Sean, stop, thank stop you. Throwing those, stop throwing those karate punches while we got Sean <laughs> over here, man. <laughs> He's striking. He's striking right now. Sean looking like, I'm going to whoop this dude's ass. <laughs> I'm just embarrassed for you, man. Good luck with the Olympics. Sean, I hope you have a wonderful experience uh, broadcasting during the Olympics, brother. And uh, I, hope, I hope them braids are nice and crisp and clean as they are right now every day of that broadcast, brother. So <laughs> I'm going to check that broadcast out, Sean. Oh, I'm going to check too. that broadcast out, and every time they switch from you, I'm going to turn. Then I'm going to turn back and see if you back on there. <laughs> then I'm going to turn again. <laughs> Care nothing about no damn Olympics. Shikari! That was, that was the great Sean Porter. Sean Showtime Porter. Yes, sir. Come in. The great. Yes. And on that note, this is a Lupe Fiasco, and uh, I'll put hands on people. Don't, don't, let, don't, let, show, don't let a professional boxer... You know, analyzing the way I throw jabs gets you fucked up. My name is Royster59, and uh, I just want to smoke a blunt with Shakari Richardson. Go ahead, Tom. This is Tom Frank. One of these days, I'm getting in the ring with Showtime. I'm going to throw a real punch, Lupe, not this little karate stuff. A real strike? A real strike. And we out. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Peace, peace, yo. Episode was at 43 with the, with the bowl of <laughs> Belafonte. Yo, real, real dope. Yo, love how you guys can give a whole different, different vibe to it, man. This is Red from, um, New York. So, so just sending love and light, man. Keep up doing y'all thing. Gone. What up, Tom, Lupe, and Royce? This is Austin calling from Long Beach. Um, I work in New York City, so I've listened to every single episode of the Lupe and Roy show. And I am just calling to let you guys know that Bowling, the most recent episode, is the best episode of the entire series. Jason was phenomenal. He was a great guest. He was hilarious. He sent the energy and the vibe of you guys. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot about bowling, and I, you know, I didn't think I would, you know, really care that much this week. But like I said, it's the best one yet. And, you know, keep it up. Keep doing your thing. Keep the best podcast in the world rolling. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe or follow. Leave us a review and tell your friends to listen. The Lupe and Royce Show is a production of Say What Media. It's recorded and mixed by Claude Jennings. Our head writer is Lauren Sloat. I'm Tom Frank. And our theme music is by, who else? Lupe Fiasco and Royce the 5'9".